Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of Teaching Tales, the podcast totally devoted to sharing stories from the world of education. I am Brent Coley, your host and elementary principal in Southern California. Joining me this evening, we're recording in the evening, but you may be listening to it in the morning. But joining me right now, the one, the only, Evan Whitehead. Evan, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Brent. Thanks a lot for having me on. Oh, fantastic. We were we were saying before we recorded, we've we've had a couple reschedules before. We were scheduled to do this before and uh life got in the way, but uh we have we have transcended those challenges. We are here. We were able to reschedule, and I'm excited about the conversation that we're gonna have today because as we were saying before I hit the record button, this is a very needed conversation as as listeners are gonna discover in just a, in just a couple of minutes. But before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, give us a little background for anyone who, who has, is not familiar with you and your work. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? If you want to share some about your, your, your family and stuff like that, feel free. Who is Evan Whitehead? Sure. So um, I am a school district administrator. I've been in central office admin for 11 years. I've been an educator for 23 years. Um, I started out at, as a paraprofessional in a therapeutic day school and have had multiple roles, positions, titles um, in, my, in my career in education. And I'm actually, the district that I work in is, is about 10 minutes outside the city of Chicago. And then I live um, in the suburbs of Chicago as well. And um, you know, things are, things are going well. I, I do, you know, a lot of different things, but I think it's all related to overall um, health and well-being for adults and students alike. Um, and it's a passion of mine. You know, I'm a mental health advocate um, and it all stems a lot from, you know, my education background, you know, my bachelor's degree and, and my first teaching jobs. Um, I was a special education teacher, particularly working with students with um, what we used to call emotional disabilities and behavior disorders. So I had self-contained classes that I taught. And um, you know what? I fell in love with those kids. Um, I made it, I, this, you know, instant rapport. And, you know, those kids taught me a lot. And a lot of things they taught me, I carry over um, to me, with me to this day. And a lot of it has to do with um, being authentic and being true because, you know, any child is going to be honest with you, right? That's just their nature. They don't, you yep. know, children, children don't learn how to lie until they get older and someone teaches them, mm -hmm. right? And I, and I use that term lie because um, I, sometimes we don't want to say it, but it is what it is, right? If we um, exchange pleasantries when we don't really mean them, that's a lie. Right. Mm. If, if we're not if we're not honest about how we feel um, and what we should say and we're worried about where things are going to land, that's a lie. And it, and it creates it creates a false sense of connection and honesty. And we have to be true about that. So, you know, that's why I love kids. And with with the kids I, I worked with, they were going to tell you to your face point blank right <laughs> they, they they don't hold any they don't hold any punches right there's no if, filter there's no filter there's no filter and you know what and the the great thing about no filter is that they're authentic 
right? So if they don't like you, they're going to tell you they don't like you. There's no, like, they're not going to sugarcoat it. They're not going to pretend to like you. But what happens is it forces you to then be authentic, right? Because they're going to, they're, they're going to be able to tell if you're faking it 100%. So you better come real all the time. And that's, and that's something that, you know, uh, I was blessed to have an opportunity to work with that population. I still, I still love it. And I think that's why a lot of my work, that has continued has always been working kind of in that social, emotional, affective domain, um, whether it's students, whether it's families, whether it's, um, you know, adults um, with that. And aside from, you know, that I'm, you know, I get a chance to come on shows like, like you have and talk about my passions and how we can, you know, come together as an education society um, to do better because I think we have an opportunity to do that and we can. And then, um, I also do consulting, you know, uh, speaking engagements. I do presentations, uh, workshops, um, on my own in various areas, such as culture and climate, um, diversity, equity, cultural competency. Um, also speaking on continuous improvement, um, obviously special education. And then I am a national consultant and presenter for the AHA process, which is Ruby Payne's company. And Ruby Payne is the author of the 25-year-old book this this month, Framework for Understanding Poverty. And that's kind of the, flag, the flagship book. And it really um, was revolutionary in terms of looking at the unwritten rules that the American education system has put in place that really is based on white middle-class values. And particularly as Ruby talks about middle-class values in which if you're not part of that circle and you were not brought in that, you won't know. So um, it's, it's great working with her. And then within that, my, my, my area of expertise that I present on is on her newest book, um, Emotional Poverty in All Demographics, How to Reduce um, Anger, um, Anxiety and Stress um, in the Classroom. And then now the newest book, which is Emotional Poverty 2, goes to more of a focus on teachers and how to help teachers reduce their anxiety, stress um, in the classroom. So everything kind of kind of fits together, Brent, you know, um, you know, and that and that's and that for me, I think that that's important. So I'm just happy to be here and, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation with you. No, that's awesome. And you're so right about going back to the kids and 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 they'll tell you that it's like, do you like my shirt? No, I think it's ugly. I mean, like, like if, if, if right. I ask a kid, like, Hey, you like, me? not really. Oh, you like me? No, right. not really. Well, no. thanks. <laughs> thanks for your honesty. I appreciate, right. I appreciate that. Um, for sure. But, and you've mentioned, you mentioned the mental health, you mentioned um, just that mental well being, not just for students, but also for adults. And you and I, we're, we're talking right now via Zoom, and I'm looking at your background, and I love the balance, boundaries, and breaks. So the BBB, I mean, yes. like balance, boundaries, and breaks, which now more than ever, uh, COVID is, is bringing to the, I mean, we've always needed this, but I think that the situation that we're in right now, the challenges that we are enduring with virtual instruction and everything that goes along with COVID and what we're having to do in our profession, the need for balance boundaries and breaks are, it's now it's magnified more than it ever has been before. And you have a very unique story, which uh, I'm excited for you to share um, 
with my listeners because it's timely. It's so with, with that, I'm going to pass the virtual mic to you and, and tell her you're passionate about this. And there's a reason why you're passionate about this. So tell us your story. Evan. So, you know, and with anything, right. When there's passion, it's rooted in, in experience, right. Something mm-hmm. touches you, something is real to you. And, um, you know, speaking about it is different than speaking to it. Right. And for me, it's personal. Um, you know, I am, you know, someone who has diagnosed mental illnesses, you know, I'm stable and stable now, but that is my reality. You know, um, I've gone through a lot in my life and I can tell you in terms of the balance bounds and breaks, you know, that is something that came to me while I was going through um, some of my challenges and as I was healing and beginning to get better and, and understanding about myself, those three themes um, were consistent, you know, whether it was in a therapy session or whether it was a group session or as I was doing self-reflecting, you know, um, it was about those those three B's and it kept coming to me and then it, it became, I mean, I started saying it and speaking it into existence. And, you know, I think those are three areas and I, you know, I speak to the education space because that's who I am and that's, that's, you know, my, my, my base and who, you know, who I speak to because that's what I do. And that's, that's the work that I, that I'm involved in, but it really applies to anyone. Right. And the, the first B that is balance. And, um, you know, for me, what got me into a situation where I really had challenges in terms of mental health and mental illness was that, you know, I didn't have a middle path, right? Everything was extreme. It was all or nothing. And I think a lot of us um, do that and experience that, right? And our profession creates an environment that's conducive for us to do that, right? And we don't, you know, and we kind of, we accept it like, oh, that's just the culture of our profession. But, you know, it's it's tough. And for me, because I already had a personality that was going to be all or nothing, right? Everything that's put in front of me, you know, I'm going to give 110%. So I was conditioned not to, you know, prioritize even my own well-being for the sake of giving it all and not looking as if, I'm not giving hundred percent and it's, and it's, and it's painful because, you know, I was the person that, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be a great special education teacher, I'm going to do whatever that takes, which means that I may stay later hours and hours after work. I may come in early. Mm-hmm. I may do work on the weekends. Right. Um, you know, I may, um, you know, contact families and do home visits. Right. And because, because of that, like, that's a lot, but also I had my own family as well. Right. And that's where this balance comes into play because right. Eventually something has to give, right. You can't burn the, burn the, burn the candle at both ends. You have to be able to understand that. And the idea of balance, you know, is critical because, you know, 
it's relative and it and it really is about the integration of balance to the current situation you're in mm. you know and you talked about the pandemic right what the pandemic did was exposed the challenges that we all have with balance right because typically we would have two or three lives, right? We'd have the life of our professional life if we're in education as educators, right? We have, that's Monday through Friday, typically, yeah. right? We come into work, we do our thing, four or five o'clock, we're done. We come home, we take the educator hat off figuratively, right? And then we can become mom, dad, spouse, caregiver, yeah. um, maybe coach, whatever it is, right? And we have that piece and then, you know, it's separated, right? We could, we could put it in compartments and, and it was easy to do. And so there was a distinct line between this is my life as professional, as educator, this is my life as spouse, parent, yeah. caregiver, et cetera. But the pandemic all of a sudden blurred those lines, right? especially when we first were in crisis learning mode in the education profession, where now we couldn't come into the buildings, right? Everyone was in like shock of what was going on. And now we're trying to do our job. Plus if we have children, our own children are at home. If we're teaching, we have our students that we need to attend to. And yeah. then if we also were a caregiver, right? For someone, maybe an elderly parent or, or an ill parent, we had all that going on. And to boot, we couldn't leave our homes. So yeah. like all this is going on and like typically we could, we could, we could turn it off and on, but we couldn't. So all of a sudden, right? Everything was coming at once. So now all these roles that we had and responsibilities, they were taking place simultaneously. And that is stress. Those are environmental stressors, right? That all of a sudden, not, not only are they stressors, but the way in which they happened, there was no transition, right? It was, it was crisis mode. So now we're changing in crisis mode and that, and that was challenging. So having an understanding of what balance looks like and defining it for yourself and sticking to it is critical before we get to the place that, you know, that, that we're in. And I think that's, you know, for me, I had a challenge with that, you know, before COVID, thank God, like before COVID got to the point where it is like, I had already had a, a routine for myself that got me to a place where I was, you know, I was okay. And I knew how to do that. But if I didn't, you know, I think about, wow, I would be in bad shape yeah. because trying to navigate those stressors is a lot, is a lot. And, you know, we see it. And I think for me, you know, that balance and the idea of balance had to be defined for me because I didn't understand it. You know, I thought balance was, you know, if I give 100% to everything that I do is balance, right? Yeah. So, and versus trying to figure out that and navigate that. So that, that, that's the one thing. And then, you know, the other part of the balance is, is like balancing your time, your energy and efforts um, and providing it to people and projects that are deserving and that will reciprocate it. Hmm. Right. That's the other balance part. 
is that, you know, sometimes, you know, people and things will drain us, even if there's no malintent. Sure. If we allow them to, right? Sometimes people and projects are not deserving of 100% of our time, energy, and efforts, right? But if you don't understand that, you'll still try to give. And that's kind of the idea of, you know, you're going to eventually your cup is going to be empty, right? And that's where it is. And for me, I got to a place where my cup was empty, right? And I had nothing else to give. I was drained. And, you know, I know and I do not want other people to get to that point. So that's why I speak about it. And the balance is huge. And, and accepting that is critical. The so the next B is, is the boundaries. Um, you know, I, like many of us in our profession, you know, I'm a giver. Sure. I'm very, very empathetic, right? Fixer, right? Want to help people out, you know? That's why you, you got into the field. Right. That's, that, what that, do. that's what we all do. Right. Yep. That's it. We want to help. We want to we want to change the world. We're going to do whatever we can. We're going to give, you know, everything we have to to make a difference in a child's life. And we all, if, you know, we all hear some version of this. If I can just change and help one child. Right. Yep. Then then my work is done. Whatever else happens, it doesn't matter. But that's foolish to think that way. Why is it foolish? Because if we don't implement personal boundaries and adhere to them, right? Nobody else is. So while we are saying we'll do anything for kids, oh, really? You will? Well, then let's see. People are going to push you to that extreme. So now if, if we need something, for example, um, if we need someone to coach a sport, or sponsor a school activity, or to stay late for something, or to call these parents, or to work with this group. I was the guy that always said yes, mm -hmm. right? Why? Because I felt that that's what I had to do. It was my duty, and I was a bad person, if, and I was a bad educator if I didn't do it, right? I felt bad. Well, if nobody's going to do it, who's going to do it? I should do it, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is you create, right, a pattern and you create in the environment in which how other people treat you. So what happens is you become the person that, oh, don't worry about it. Evan will do it. Oh, that don't worry about it. Evan will do it. Right. And that's what happened to me. I was giving all this, you know, and but I wouldn't I wouldn't say no. And that's the boundaries. It's, it's giving ourselves permission to yeah. say no, right? We can't be everyone to everybody. It's impossible. And that, as I said earlier, when, I, when we have personalities that we are looking to, willing to help, to fix, to heal, um, that's what we do. And for me, the problem was that carried over into my personal life as well. Right. People would ask me for something. I'd, I'd give it to them. I'd help them, whether it's family, friends, extended family. Right. Whatever, whatever needs to be done, I'll do it just because somebody got to do it. But it burned me out. It burned me out. I realized I didn't have anything for myself. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, look, nobody's going to really care. Right. It may sound harsh, but it's true. 
right? No one's going to be your advocate, your number one advocate, except for you. No one's going to take care of your of you except for you. And yeah, people are concerned, but they get really concerned like, oh, when it gets to an extreme and it's too late. But nobody ever really says, you know what? You should slow down. Mm. You should take your time. Don't worry about that. I'll take that off your plate. Think about that. Like most of the time we take things off people's plate when it's too late. Mm. We're never proactive and mindful enough about doing that, you know, and that's part of it. You know, our profession feeds a sense of guilting us into doing things, but we don't have to do that. Right. And I fell victim of it. And that, you know, and that for me was a huge deficit. And the last, the last B is the breaks that kept coming up as I'm going through and I'm healing and I'm, you know, going through, um, you know, the programs that I was in and I'm saying programs because I got to a point where I had to go into a program to deal with my mental health and mental health issues. You know, some may call it a break, a breakdown. Some may call it a mental health crisis, whatever it is, but you know, this is from years of having this pattern of behavior that I'm talking about um, and getting myself in a situation. And I was responsible for that. And the breaks, the breaks was probably the biggest deficit that I had. Why? This is where it comes into play where this is the self-care everyone's talking about now. Mm -hmm. Self-care is a huge buzzword. You know, I get it. I understand it, you know, but self-care comes about why? Because it's truly about mental health. Right. And that's something that in our profession, we need to talk about and say the word mental health, you know, because if we don't speak it, we continue to sugarcoat it. Right. So so if we just skip over everything and say self-care, we're not really addressing the reason why we need self-care. It's because it's mental health. Everyone has mental health and we need to work on it. And for and for me, I didn't take breaks. I didn't like I, I considered myself a late bloomer. Um, you know, just for the simple fact that, you know, I didn't go the traditional route of continuing my finishing my bachelor's degree. It wasn't like I graduate high school and four years later, I finished my degree. That wasn't the case. You know, I had, a, I had a non-traditional path. I had some life experience, work experience that brought me to that point. So when I did, I felt I had to play catch up. Mm. So, which meant I needed to fast track, you know, um, no time for break. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I mean, I became an assistant superintendent at 34 years old. Wow. Okay. I was the youngest assistant superintendent in the state of Illinois at that time. Not to mention, I was the only African-American male assistant superintendent within that age demographic as well. So I had a huge learning curve, but at 34, right, I'm in a situation where like, you know, my counterparts are at least... 10 to 15 years older than me, you know, and, and I can tell you that being that position ages you, right? The, the, the amount of, you know, as an administrator, right? Like, like the, 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 the stressors that you deal with and navigate are, are, are unbelievable. Yep. You know, people think that, you know, necessarily, oh, your administration, like, you know, Though it's work, but it's different. It's a different type of work, and and the and the stressors that you deal with, right? They impact you mentally, which then have physiological effects, yeah. right? How many 
I mean, I, I know of multiple colleagues that are in school administration that have had health issues, everything from, from hypertension, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe, that have had strokes, heart attacks, right? That have had other, other issues because, and the main thing is a lot of the stress and learning how to deal with it mm-hmm. and then managing it, being proactive, prevention in terms of healthcare, whether that's mental or physical versus intervention, which is reactionary, right? And the breaks is all part of that. Like how many teachers do you know or educators in general that refuse to take sick days, right? The, the, the majority of them. <laughs> the, the majority, right? That, majority. That, that, is, that is part of our culture. We will not take a sick day. Maybe now we will, given the circumstances, but prior to COVID, yeah. you, it, you would have to force someone to go home because they were sick. Yeah. People would bring themselves in. Why? Because it goes back to feeling as though they have to give everything no matter what. But that's not healthy, right? Yeah. If you if you don't give your body a chance to rest when you're sick, you won't get better. You yeah. won't heal properly, right? The other thing is that in terms of breaks, those of us that are in administration, right, we hardly take vacations. Most of us have vacation days remaining and we're forced to take them because they don't, we can only carry so many over, right? Which tells me, we're not utilizing the days that are built in for us to take the break. Yeah. They're there, but we're not using it. And I was no different. Um, I got to a point where I stopped taking family vacations. We stopped family taking family vacations. I, I will say, you know, stop taking those time out where I could do that because everyone needs re- a respite. Right. But I stopped doing that because I was putting my profession before my own health and I wasn't prioritizing that for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's where the breaks comes in in terms of the physical and the mental health aspect. The other part of it is is just pausing, right? I didn't pause. I I told you I was on a fast track. I was trying to make up time. I didn't even give my chance myself a chance to reflect and pause and be still in the moment of achieving another role or a title or getting a promotion. It was always what's next. Mm. And with that, right. You don't, when you don't give your chance, a a chance to self-reflect and to pause, you're going in warp speed. And that's what we do now. Like our, like up until COVID happened, our society was microwave. It was a microwave society, right? Instant gratification. We wanted everything like yesterday, right? Therefore, we never paused. We never paused. But what did the pandemic do? It forced everybody to pause. Mm-hmm. It literally, like, it was like all the laws of the universe were aligned and said, you know what? Go home. Now, go, go home, home. And, and you're not allowed to do anything. And, right? And you're not allowed to do anything. Right. Yeah. It, that, that's, that's what happened. And the, the thing about it is that's something we all ask for. Right. We always ask for, I wish I had more time in the day. I wish I could spend more time with my family. I wish I could pick up an old hobby that I used to have, but I haven't had time to do it. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish you got your wish. And that's why sometimes we have to be careful what we wish for, because when it presents itself, are we ready for it? And what happened during the pandemic? One of two things, either people were in survival mode or they were thriving during the pandemic. 
And from what I know is the majority of people that I've spoken to, that I've observed, that I've in contact with, were and still are in survival mode, mm -hmm. right? And from experience, I was living in survival mode day to day. And what happens is, you know, our body has a physiological response when we're trying to survive, right? There are chemicals that are extracted in that, into our body that allow us to survive when it's, when it's crisis and panic, you know, we're not supposed to have those chemicals in our body when like on a consistent basis, because it, it then becomes toxic. Yeah. Right. And that's what happens. So that's how other things happen, whether it's mental illness, whether it's physical illness, it all, it's all interconnected. And I was no different. So what happened was my body was always reacting as if it was a crisis. I was just trying to survive. So it broke me down, you know, it broke me down. And so like, I know for a fact right now, you and I were talking a little bit, you know, before we started, you know, recording is that the importance of, of, of understanding the space that we're in, in terms of mental health um, is critical right now. Yeah. You know, we're, we're at a situation in which, you know, people are making decisions, right. On their life and their livelihood, okay? This is a conversation I have with one of, with one of my good friends, um, Kavita Tana, and she, and she coined that expression as we were talking. She was like, Evan, do you realize that right now people, educators have to make a decision on their physical health and safety, right? And their perception of their physical health and safety because perception is reality. So even though you provide all the medical science, right? From mental health aspect, people are thinking about it or, you know, their livelihood, right? Do I continue working? Do I come into work? Can I come into work, right? All those things are playing. And in the meantime, all those ideas are like swimming around. So anxiety is increasing, right? There's depression, you know, also we don't know what has happened in people's homes now because we're not as connected with them. Yeah. They could have family members that have been sick. There, there could have been, you know, people that have lost their jobs, lost their lives, right? Yep. All those things that they're trying to balance, we don't know about, just like our kids, right? This is the first time we've had a window into the homes of our children. Literally. Literally. Literally <laughs> seen into their living rooms, their bedrooms, their bathrooms. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. And right. So now... We want to talk about truly understanding, right, our students and knowing them outside of the four walls of our classroom. Here's your test. Now you can see everything you want to know. So this is also something that we as educators are not necessarily trained on how to respond because when we see our, those children, we have the controls in a controlled environment. We're in our school building, in our classroom. Now they're at home. So some of the things that we may see or perceive may not be what we're used to. And how do we deal with that? How do we work through that, right? How do we understand that? And how do we work through it so that 
we can still be the educators we need to be without taking on some of that perception that we may see in a home or home environment and knowing now and seeing it for the first time. But, you know, I think this is where everything ties into like, what do we do next? Right. What's needed. I know for a fact that living and, and continuing our profession in the way that it is, it's not going to work. Right. I'm evidence of that. Mm. Okay. So I can be an example of what not to do. And I can tell you as a cautionary tale where you don't want to be. Right. Because even though on the outside, people would say, oh, wow, Evan's very successful. Look at what he did. He was able to be an assistant superintendent at 34 years old. And look at that. He's on this track and things are going well yeah, on the outside. But on the inside, mm. I was a mess. I was a mess because while all this was happening, I was guilty of imposter syndrome. I was wearing a mask just to try to get through. I was in survival mode. And, you know, survival mode is not sustainable. Hmm. It's not sustainable. And, you know, if you, if you want to truly understand what a humbling experience is, Okay, I'm going to tell you, when I was when I was in my program and my hospitalization, okay, it took me almost two weeks to even be forthright and honest about what profession I was in because I was embarrassed. Mind you, I'm somewhere getting better to heal mm. and to improve my state, but but my ego made me embarrassed because I'm an educator. Not only my educator, I'm a special educator. So I have an experience with mental health and students. And on top of that, I'm an administrator. So now I'm also supervising clinicians who work with that. Yeah. That right there is humbling. Then on top of that, the fact that even though I was in an adult program, there were there were adults in there who just graduated high school. So if they're 18, right? Those are high school students just about, right? Summer before, right? Yeah. And seeing that, that's humbling. And it's humbling that I learn from them just as much as they learn from me. Hmm. Why? Because that allowed me to strip down the ego and see and figure out what needs to be done and why to do it, right? And figure out how not to ever come back in that situation. You know, and, and, and I made a promise to myself, to the people that I was in the program with, to the therapists, my doctors, that I would take what I learned and I would share this message to anybody that would listen because I had a mission in life now, right? I knew that even though what I, what I went through is, is challenging what it is, was it was to be able to say, you know what, I need help. I, I, I can't continue, but I want to get better. Right. And to be vulnerable like that, you know, that's that right there, that provided me more confidence than ever because why I could be honest, mm -hmm. right. Being honest, and I think that's something that I want more of us in our profession to continue to be as honest. And I want us to be able to address these things in terms of mental health, 
and challenges because everyone has mental health. Sometimes it doesn't lead to mental illness, but we all have mental health. Sure. But right now we're seeing it and it's yeah. tough. Yeah. Gosh, man. <laughs> and I unpack a little bit of what you just said, sure. <laughs> what you said, because I'm jotting down a bunch <laughs> of stuff. I mean, I, one of the things you said right off the bat was eventually something has to give. Eventually something has to give like, you said survivable isn't sustainable and eventually something is going to give like it is, it is only a matter of time before something's going to give and whether that's our physical health, whether that's our mental health, whether that's, I mean, there's so many different things, but something is going to give. That's not a, well, I'm just going to keep working harder there will come a point where you will not, you will not be able to do that. I love how you said it's okay to say no. And how you said you were the person who would always say yes. Cause if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And, and I think for any educators listening out right now, listening to this right now, I have to think there's many people shaking their head, at least internally thinking, yep, that's me. That's me because that's what educators do. The altruism in educators, that's why they became educators, because they're altruistic. They will, they will sacrifice for other people, which is awesome. It's a noble thing, but you said it, your cup was empty, and you can't fill from an empty vessel. I like, I like the expression, I, I thought, it's like feeding a stray cat. You said it'll become a pattern. If you say yes, it, it's like feeding the stray cat. If you do something, if you feed a stray cat, what will happen? It'll come back looking for yeah. more. And it's kind of the same type of thing that if you become that person who, what remember life cereal, let's get Mikey. Yeah, he, he'll eat it. He'll eat anything type thing from years and years ago. It's like, yeah. it's okay. And I jotted down, it's not just okay to say no. I wrote down, it's necessary. We have Yes. To say no. And I, I love what you, you got to be your number one advocate because, because not everybody else will. And I loved how you said they will when it's too late, when you are, when you are already sick. Um, and, and you said, it's gosh, man, it's so true. Scheduling sick days, scheduling to take days off. I taught for 15 years. And I do not recall a single time taking a mental health day. Birth of my two kids, mm -hmm. took that time off. Yep. I mean, took time off. I mean, but in terms of like, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm whooped. I just need to take yeah. a day. I, I do not ever recall doing it in my 15 years of teaching. Now, this is my 10th year in administration. I can tell you I've done it multiple times <laughs> now because like you said, I mean, you and I, are, you're seeing me through Zoom and you can see the color of my goatee. People who know me, <laughs> it's like the goatee wasn't this gray when I no. started this. <laughs> and I got pictures to prove it. It's it's not, it was not that gray. This will, and if I had a lot of, I mean, my hair is long right now for my standards. If I had any hair, it would have all been gone. Um, yeah. It is a very very stressful job. And I think for anyone listening right now, please, like you were saying, Evan, 
you're the cautionary tale, like, don't do that. I'm the cautionary tale, like, don't be us in that it is okay to take a day to, to schedule, like, because if you don't, the day will take you, like you can schedule yes. time for your, for your health, or it's going to schedule it for you. Uh, what, I can't remember what it, it's like. Take time for your wellness or your illness will make you take time for it. Yeah. Something, something along yeah. that, something along that line. So I just, I, I love that. And, and, you said that by not balancing, by not, you have a story. Like what? So what happened? You didn't take yeah, the, balance, I mean, the boundaries. And no, break. I didn't. No, I, I. It got to a point where, as I said, I had what you know you would call a breakdown. You know, um, and I got to a point where I couldn't continue. Literally, like it's stop me in my tracks, right? I couldn't continue. And, I, and, and all those things I said got to the point and I, and I had to take, I was forced, right? My, my body and my mind forced me, forced me to get well, right? And, you know, to my point and what I experienced, right? You know, being in a, like I said, a program, you know, um, I was in, uh, inpatient, you know, and, um, intensive outpatient program and, you know, understanding that and, you know, being in a clinical setting, right. Like it's powerful. Yeah. Right. It's, it's powerful basically going through your life and seeing like, how there are issues that you have, whether it's trauma, whether it's, you know, and trauma comes in all forms. And, I, and that's something I want to, I want to, you know, touch on as well is that, you know, there's a lot of talk about ACEs, ad, ad, adverse childhood experiences, right. And, and, and talking about trauma and, you know, what that means. And that's, that's a big, kind of a big buzzword category right now. But the reality is, is that, you know, what we've experienced now during COVID, that's that's a traumatic experience. Oh, that's right. That's that that's trauma, right? Everybody's you know? experience. Everybody is experiencing <laughs> trauma. Every, everybody has experienced trauma, right? So you 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 have that. Then you add on, right? Let's not forget, you know, what the summer of 2020 also provided us in terms of news feeds mm -hmm. and what was on loop in terms of. In terms of you know racial injustice, in terms sure. of police, you know murdering right yeah. black men, right that was on continuous loop. So imagine this, right? Let's let's just put it in perspective for a minute. You're isolated in your home, right? You you can't go into work, right? Restaurants are closed. You can't do things that normally would eat up your time, and you're stuck in the house. And, and you put on every television station and what are you seeing? You are seeing trauma right before your eyes. And it was on continuous loop. Doesn't matter what news station, doesn't matter what you were watching, programs were being, were being interrupted. And to see, right, violence yeah. on another human beings, between human beings, you don't think that has an impact on, on, on your mental health, sure. right? That's trauma. That is that is what contributes to PTSD, 
right? Seeing those images over and over and over and over again, it's on repeat. So like, you know, that's why I say that because sometimes we have an idea of what trauma is and like, well, that's not trauma. This is trauma. And for me, I had to understand that trauma is on a continuum and what it looks like because that shapes who you are and you have to work through that. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and you have to be better and you have to learn how to work through that. And you have to heal because that shapes how you are as an adult. Right. It shapes all your experiences, how you would, how you addressing small things as, you know, the way you raise your children could be based on if you had trauma or not. Sure. Right. And people don't think about that. Right. You carry all that over into your adulthood and into your personal and professional life as well. So everybody, we think about this, we have all of our, all of our adults in our, in our buildings, on our campuses, right? We bring all those things. We bring all the people in our lives. We bring it with us every day to work. And if, and if we are, we are very naive, if we don't think that that has an effect on us as we are working with young people, we're foolish. We're foolish to think that that is not the case. Yeah. And it does. And, and from, an emotional, from a mental side, it absolutely does. But also it manifests itself physically. I mean, I remember yes. when I moved into administration, I mean, my back, I started seeing a chiropractor <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I remember standing up in front of a staff meeting and gesturing to the screen behind me and <laughs> my back completely seizing up where I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't I couldn't get out of a chair and I remember going to the chiropractor and asking him, Hey doc, um, could this be because of stress? <laughs> and he just laughed at me. Like <laughs> you think Brent, like, um, <laughs> yes, it's. And he said, there's a lot of district administrators from your district who come and see me like it. Wow. And that's not, it's so, and that because the stress level, like you said, and this is not to diminish the amount of stress that classroom teachers are under, right. because in no way are we trying to say that that's not a stressful job. You said it well, it's a different kind of stress. And unfortunately, sometimes when you're stuck in Zoom meetings right now and meetings all day, yep. you, can't, you can't get it out the way you normally would. And unfortunately, it's the type of stress that doesn't stop when you leave at five o'clock. There's men, th those those thoughts are continually yes. going, but, but it manifest like for me, it manifested itself with, with, I had to see a chiropractor. I mean, I, my, it just messed up. My body was so tense. Now, physically, didn't you have something physically? Well, yeah. So <laughs> like, you know, um, actually it today is a two month, two months to the day. Um, in which I um, was in the hospital and I was there for routine observation and my heart stopped for 14 seconds. Wow. And, uh, you know, on a daily basis, we take seconds for granted, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, think about this. If, if someone's choking, 
right? Whether it's you or someone else and they're choking for like two seconds, it seems like an eternity. Yeah. Right. If, if, if you've ever seen someone that like can't swim and they're having trouble and they're not, they didn't drown, but they're having trouble. It seems like it's an eternity. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it really put things in perspective for me when, you know, after it happened and I was, you know, was in the hospital, you know, for, another three days in the ICU critical care unit. And, and I was looking at the wall and where the clock was. And it was, it was a clock with a second hand. We don't see a lot of those anymore. And I counted 14 seconds. Mm. And when I counted for 14 seconds, that truly let me know that it was a blessing that I was still able to be there the next day and count those 14 seconds, you know, because just from a medical perspective, you know, my um, cardiologist and electrophysiologist came in and was like, okay, Evan, I'm going to tell you exactly just you have a, a perspective and be able to compare this to so you understand it, said, if you were standing up, you know, this happened when I was asleep. So he said, if you were standing up, and your heart stopped for seven seconds, okay, you'd fall to the ground, sure. seven seconds, right? Okay, if your heart stops for five seconds, okay, oxygen stops going to your brain, okay? He said, if you were standing up and your heart stopped for 14 seconds, he just did a sign as if he was an umpire in baseball and did safe which tells me that I was, I would have been out if I were standing up there, there'd be no coming back. So I'm, I'm just blessed to be here now, you know, and mind you, I never had any heart issues, right? And when I was in the hospital, they ran every single test, couldn't find a reason for it. Couldn't mm -hmm. find it at all. There was nothing like I passed every test with flying colors, you know, monitored me. I, I had a, you know, a heart monitored on 24 seven for 30 days, you know, it monitored me, you know, and I was fortunate though, you know, I go back and I was cleared and actually my health improved, you know, better than it was before. But like, you'd never know like what it is. Could have been stress related? Probably. Right. Could have been an emotional, you know, combination probably right even though there was no there was nothing deep but like everything that you do right your body keeps score hmm. your body keeps score right and like you may not understand it but like you know that one time where you're frustrated and aggravated but don't express it and you keep it in that weighs on your mm -hmm. on your on your organs right that weighs on your heart, right? That affects the blood pressure, right? When you get upset, right? And maybe you yell and it's not a not not it's not in a healthy way, like you're not in a class where you're doing something and getting out, it happens, right? If you are worried, as we said before, like those toxins that happen when you're in survival mode, all that weight wears on your body and your and your organs, and you don't know 
right? What could be the time or the, or, or the reason why it happens? And it happens. So like, you know, like I said, fortunately, you know, I'm very blessed that I'm here today and I'm healed. You know, um, I know it was, it was a higher power more than me, just like brought me back from 14 seconds of, of coding and being flatlined, right, to be able to be here. And I'm, I'm just in a good, I'm in a good place. But like I said, you know, I'm fortunate, I'm lucky, right? It doesn't happen to everybody to be that fortunate and lucky. So just, this is why everything, I just keep saying, like, you have to be an advocate for yourself, right? Um, you know, there's a quote that I, that, that I said, and I, it's applied to um, educators, but it really applies to everybody. And I, and, you know, I'm going to say it word for word, but basically the fact that, you know, we need to change the narrative in our field of education. And the narrative is of martyrdom, mm -hmm. right? It's unspoken, we don't want to speak about it. We don't say it a lot. But the reality is, is, you know, we praise the martyr in our profession. Right. And that's the altruism that you talked about. Right. Yeah. That it's OK. And no matter what. But you know what? What the problem with that is, is that, you know, after the martyrs, the martyrs only famous after they're gone. <laughs> uh, right. That's true. The martyrs only famous after they're no longer on the earth. Right. So that's not good. And then the other part is like, you know, we have to be able to look and accept words for what they are in the moment. Right. So we think about, you know, here's this. I think it's OK to be selfish. There are times you need to be selfish when it has to do with your health. Yeah. When it has to do with your family. Right. With your well-being. You know, and, and the selfishness is okay, especially with self-care, right? And that's okay. You know, it's okay to be selfish because nobody else is going to look out for you. They're not going to do it for they're, you. They're not going to do it for you. So you have to be okay with that, right? And no one's going to fault you for that. So I think that's just something we need to be in a space in our profession where we're changing that, right? So when we have mentors, for new teachers, right? Those mentors have to be showing those new teachers a different way, right? We don't want them to fall in line of, of that. You know, when we have new administrators, right? We need folks like you and I to help the new administrators so they don't fall in the, in, into, the, into the traps that we did, right? So they, can, so they don't have to make those mistakes, right? We all need to be able to do that and take that on because we have a responsibility. I don't care to anybody that public education was not working all the way around. It was working truly every child, right? And every educator would be receiving what they need, right? When the happening. So we had a chance to change it because right now there's no blueprint. There's, there's precedent. So no one can well, that's not going to work. No, who's going to touch that's going to work. We've never been educators. We've never been a principal during COVID, nope. right? During a pandemic. I've never been an administrator. I've never been a teacher. Nope. None of us, like, there was not one teacher prep program, administrator preparation program, superintendent preparation program that tells you this is how you do your job in a global pandemic. Nope. Miss, miss We're that. all learning on the fly. Yep. 
right? <laughs> We're all learning on the fly. So why don't we take the lessons learned that we know what have worked and what can work and utilize to shape the future of learning, right? And how we perceive our profession, how we move forward, right? There's things that have worked, we learned, right? That we can do things virtually. We oh, can yeah. do things, right? Like we can do things virtually now. We, like this is one of, this is what you and I are doing right now is one of the perks of the pandemic that there are some meetings that we will be able to continue to do virtually and maximize our time and and which is great. That's one of the silver linings. Yep. Yep, that, that that's true and we can do that. And also, you know, this is a time we can truly look at individualized learning for our students. Right now, all of a sudden, we thought it was going to be the worst thing. But for some students have been thriving in a yeah. remote setting. Yeah. Some students that we thought would have never been students the way they are, they've been thriving during this time. And we need to look at that. And then also us as educators, this is the time we can realize we can let go. We don't have to control everything. Right. The truth is, is that. We as educators, our job is to be facilitators of learning. The students don't need us for answers. They can Google it, right? They don't need us for answers. What they need us is to help guide them on the path of inquiry, to help guide them and filter through things so they understand what type of data they should be looking for. Is it valid? Is it reliable? We can teach them that, you know, first, second grade. We can help them navigate that. That's what students need because it's about student agency, right? We all say that. Well, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever teacher evaluation tool you use, it always talks about things being student-led. This is an opportunity that we can truly do that in our practice and not just doing it for the purpose of an evaluation, but truly the way that we do our work. Love it, man. Well, I, 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 I jotted one, one final thing down. And I will wrap it up with this. You said on a daily basis, we take seconds for granted. On a daily basis, we take seconds for granted. And the story that you've shared, 14 seconds, you think, ah, 14 seconds. It's not that long. It's half of a Super Bowl commercial. I mean, it, it's, it's yeah. not that long. But I loved your example. If you're choking, you're done after 14 seconds. I mean, like if you're drowning, you're done. I mean, like if you put it in perspective, if your heart stops beating 14 seconds, I mean, that's enough. Yes. And I would hope that people listening, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by this and just reminded that I, I just trying to communicate to, to, to my staff, to anybody listening, if you don't take care of yourself, you will be forced to take care of yourself. And I think it's, I've heard, I don't remember who said it, but I've heard it said, and it's very simple. A lot of people have said it, I'm sure. Your kids are going to be fine. If you take that day off, your kids are going to be fine. And especially right now, think of what they've endured. <laughs> yes. Now, one day off is not going to kill them. I mean, it, no. it's, it's, but I mean, I just found a quote that I do a daily quote on the whiteboard and you and I are recording on a Monday. I, the quote that I put on, on uh, Friday was if doing, doing nothing this weekend is being productive, 
if that's what it takes for you to be in a better space for when your students return. And I just, I, I love yes. that. It's like doing nothing is being productive. If it means you will be able to be productive for your job, because, and I've also heard it yep. said like, everybody's replaceable. If, yes. if I, if yes. I, if I, if I yes. work myself to death and leave, they're going to get somebody else to replace. 100%. 100%. I am not, I am not irreplaceable. You are not, I mean, none of us are irreplaceable. Yeah. And, and I love how you said martyrs are only famous once they're gone. And it's like, that's deep, man. I, I, that's like, you don't have to die in order to, to, to do good work. And, yeah. and, and let's, and I, and I think you're right. Something changing the narrative in education that it is celebrated. The martyr is celebrated and, and the extra work is celebrated. And there is something to be said for going the extra mile for students and stuff like that. That being said, when your body tells you to stop, when your mind is telling you to stop, we have to listen to it. I think, I, I mean, that's listen to it. And I, I just appreciate Evan, you sharing transparently what you have, what you've gone through. And I so appreciate your passion because I know somebody is listening to this right now, getting something out of it. And, and I love how you said, like, we go through things so that we can share them with others. You made that promise to yourself, to your doctors. I'm going to share this to people for people. And if sharing your story can help prevent somebody from somebody else from physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, then this is all worth it. So dude, thank Thank you for taking the time, Evan. I really appreciate this, man. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate oh, it. You got it. For it. anyone who is, I know you're active on Twitter. That's where you and I connected. So how can people, not just Twitter, but how can they, how can they get in touch with you and follow you on online? Sure. You know what? So um, Twitter's, Twitter's the best location for me. That is my home. Um, you can reach me um, at... Evan Whitehead 00 all together at Evan Whitehead 00. Um, then I'm going to even, you know, give out uh, my email address um, because Sweet. people want to contact me there and there's a little bit, you know, if they want some personalization um, as well, you can email me at my email address is Evan Whitehead all together, the number 11 at gmail.com. Evan Whitehead, the number 11 at gmail.com. Awesome. And yeah, you put out, you put out some good stuff. Again, that's, we connected via Twitter. We've never met in person. I right. mean, uh, but gosh, that's the beauty of that's the once again, that's the beauty of technology and what we're doing is you and I are connected and I am learning and being inspired by you. And uh, hopefully someday we'll be, we'll meet at a conference or something like that and get to get to shake your hand back when For we, sure when we're allowed to shake hands again. Yes, like, like right. Post, post COVID, where we can get within <laughs> the six feet with a six feet bubble. So right. Um, Awesome. Evan, well, thank you again, uh, man. I really appreciate you sharing your story. And for everyone listening, uh, hope and pray that you got something out of this. As I say all the time, even if you're not listening, I got something out of this. So it was all worth it. So, uh, and if you haven't already done so, again, be, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find that wherever podcasts are found. You can subscribe. Uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Or you can listen directly on the podcast page on my website at brentcoley.com. And if you like what you hear, if you're encouraged by it, 
uh, drop us a review. That helps other people find the podcast as well so that hopefully they can be encouraged. All right, everyone. As always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, have a good one.